John chapter 8, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The Reformation. It's an interesting name for these events which changed and shaped history. When Luther began the Reformation in 1517, he wasn't trying to start some great and big thing. He was putting up 95 theses and responses to problems in the church that the whole church knew. There was a lot of conflict at that time between various branches of the church. There have always been a lot of conflicts in the church. He put out a congenial Latin statement meant to be discussed by fellow theologians, and God used it to change Luther from a professor at an institution in Germany to a prophet who would call the entire world to repentance. Luther didn't know what God had in store for him. He didn't realize that he was going to be facing an emperor, that his life would be priced at nothing, that he would end up translating the Bible into the vernacular, that he would transform the church and break it apart in a way greater than the time of the Great Schism. What Luther did was a pastoral thing. He was seeking what was best for his congregation and for his mother church. His church that had shown him what grace was, what that free gift of God was, which had given him the gift of the sacrament and the gift of the other sacrament. Luther wanted to return the church back to what it always is what it has been from eternity. He wanted to return the church to the word who is Jesus Christ. He knew that the church throughout the ages is the same church that began with Adam and Eve, began with their sin and the promise by God that they would have salvation from one who would crush the serpent's head and have his heel bruised. It is the same church that existed with Noah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, with David as he wrote the great Psalms, the same church that existed for the apostles, for the early church fathers, for the Reformation, and for us. Our text tells us that Jesus' word abides, that it lives. Jesus, who is the word, lives. And Mother Church has existed because disciples throughout the ages have come to Jesus' word and there found the truth. They've learned about the righteousness that comes by faith, not by works. They've learned that Christ would die upon the cross and forgive their sins, and they learned that Christ would rise again and make them part of his body heirs to the kingdom. 
And they became a part again of Mother Church. I always liked it when Luther called it that. When he told the reformers, don't take away from the old lady who's been in the pew her whole life this gift that is the church. The sacraments and the forgiveness of sins which has assured her of her salvation and the salvation of perhaps her past husband, her parents, her grandparents. Because the word hasn't changed and the truth of the gospel hasn't changed. There is truly one Catholic church, one universal church. It is the church headed by Christ. But as a pastor, when he saw indulgences, when he saw the worship of relics, the pilgrimages, all the things that were splitting people from Christ, he had to speak. He had to give to the people in his congregation the gifts of God once again. He wasn't trying to do a reformation. He was really, whether he knew it or not, becoming a prophet. That was mentioned in one of our readings. He was becoming a prophet like the Old Testament prophets or like John the Baptist. And his central message, if you really look at it, is the same central message that the prophets have. It is repent. Stop looking at your own navels. Stop gazing at yourself. Return your eyes to Christ. Turn about and turn about your life because you have been given the good gifts of God. The forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. He sanctified you. He's raised you in baptism from the old Adam to the new. When he was sending those 95 theses to his colleagues, he was challenging them to repent. He thought that the church would naturally hear these wonderful gifts of God and out of love for their people, out of pastoral concern, would start changing their behaviors back to what the Bible said they should be doing, back to taking care of their flock, back to being a mother church to the people of God. And it didn't happen. It shocked him when the Pope turned against him. When God's vicar on earth turned to his own concerns, his concerns for building his own glory by making a basilica in Rome, rather than looking to the people of God and their needs. When the Augsburg Confession was written, the church of the time wasn't coming there to tear down the Catholic Church. The princes of Germany went before the Holy Roman Emperor and explained that they were doing what the Bible had written, what the Bible had said. They were returning to grace. They were putting God's word first. They were doing those solas that you probably remember from so many Reformation services, right? Faith, grace, and scripture alone. Christ alone. They came before the emperor expecting that as they gave good arguments from scripture, good arguments which actually said what scripture said, the people would listen because they would be disciples of Christ who would know the truth and they would follow the truth. 
They weren't setting up a rebellion, trying to tear apart the church. They were trying to bring the church together, to unify us in Christ. Because they believed and still believe in the holy Christian church, the communion of saints. That faith that had been confessed from the beginning, from Adam and Eve until the present. That we have one Lord, and it is Jesus Christ. And so, really, the message of the Reformation was and is repent. Come back to the eternal word of God. The church has never ceased to exist. It has fractured at times when we turned away from what God's word has taught and how God's word has brought us together. But it has always existed and it will always exist to give the gifts of Christ. Luther was a prophet like those Old Testament prophets. We have the same message today. Repent. Any of us could look at our lives and we'll find, as you know, that we're not perfect. It's one of those things when we're teaching confirmation, every pastor here can tell you, one of those things, whether you're teaching adult or youth confirmation, you do when you come to the Ten Commandments, the first part of the catechism, right? And you give the word of God to the, to the people who are listening to you, and you say, have you broken commandment number five? Thou shalt not kill. You look at your students, and sometimes, often in fact, they'll say, well, I haven't killed anybody. You know, I'm not really that bad a person. And you come to that text and you say, well, Christ says, if you look upon your brother with hate in your heart, you've committed murder. Have you ever desired to hit your brother? Have you ever hit your brother? Have you ever hurt someone intentionally in a football game? Have you ever injured anyone intentionally at all or wanted to? Because you've broken the fifth commandment. God's word makes it clear that you're a sinner, that death awaits you, that you don't deserve what Christ gave you on the cross, and that every law that's printed here and every law in Scripture points to you and says, you must die. And so we teach those in our confirmation classes to repent. To tell the Lord that they are sorry for their sins. Our services every Sunday, how do we begin? We have a confession of faith, or a confession of faith, a confession of sins. We repent. We look to our Lord and we say, I have not followed your word. I have not lived as I ought. I have not lived as the body of Christ. Forgive me, Lord. And every time we come before our Lord seeking his salvation, the answer is the same. 
Your sins are forgiven. The message of the Reformation was to repent and return back to the Word of God. Return back to being the church that had existed from the Old Testament to the New Testament to now. The message today still needs to be heard. I can't look at each of your individual congregations and tell you how maybe you have turned away from God's Word, what you're doing that maybe should be changed. That's the job of these men over here and me where I'm at. Right now I've had the privilege of, of preaching in Marshall a number of times, and I go up and I preach my sermon and I say things like, well, Bill would know, but I don't know at this time. But I guarantee that in all our congregations, we should come back to the touchstone, which is Scripture, to the rock upon which our faith has been built, Jesus Christ and his word. Because I guarantee that all of us are fighting against our old Adams. All of us want to put our own thoughts into what God has written. Leo X, when he wanted to build his basilica in Rome, thought he was doing good for the church. He thought he would glorify God with this great building and somehow it would reform the church. But instead, Leo X, putting his own ideas into scripture, was sending out indulgences which encouraged works righteousness and the worship of money over the message of salvation that God had given and that grace was free. And he put his own ideas over what scripture would have told him. And so Luther called him to repent. To come back to scripture and to hear what God said. Not what he desired scripture to say. We're very likely and we often do the same thing. Where we'll go to our text to this thing which has lasted forever and will last to eternity, and we try to put in it our own ideas. And so as pastors and as Christians, we are called to repent, to place ourselves under the word of God, to humble ourselves before the Lord, to be quiet and listen to what God has told us we are to do and we are to be to receive his gifts so that might happen. This Reformation, we return back to that eternal word. We come back to that touch touchstones and we repent. We come back and we ask that Christ tell us again his word, that we be his disciples, learning under him so that we might be free. Let me close it this way. Luther started off his life certainly a slave, a slave to sin. If you read about his early history and the way he feared death, and he feared that he was not worth anything, that God would look upon him as the worm that he was, the sinner that he was, that he would end up in hell. And then you have Luther studying the word of God 
learning from Romans, from Scripture, that though he was a sinner, God's righteousness was free, and it wasn't about him. It came from God. He humbled himself before the word of God, and he repented. And when he came back to that eternal word and heard the gospel, he was free indeed. Free of sin, free of death, ultimately free of paralyzing fear. I'm certainly he had fear, but paralyzing fear. Free to be the prophet that God called him to be. Free to bring to his church that message of repentance. Free to write the small catechism and all the 80 works of, of Luther's works, 80 books of Luther's works that point to our need for repentance. Today, as you are God's disciples, as you come to his word, as you dwell in his word, it makes you free. Your sins are forgiven. You are made anew a child of God. And you can go forth knowing that the Holy Spirit will guide you to share his word, to share his love, where God has designed for it to happen. You go free of here as a prophet, as one who speaks repentance and then speaks forgiveness. The Reformation was a reformation of repentance, not of breaking apart the church. In fact, I joke with my wife that we are the Catholic Orthodox Reformed Evangelical Church. And Jacob smiles because he knows it's true. We have been given that church forever, our mother church. And we are kept in Christ's hands by his word.